Our scripture reading today is from Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And so it was. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Amen. Uh, amen and welcome. My name is Morgan, the lead pastor here, if you're new. And before we get going, let me just take a moment here and just honor and recognize Black History Month. Uh, yeah, it's, my, it's uh, just an all honor the contributions of so many great African Americans who contributed to our nation and our culture and our heritage and our history. And I mean, it's my privilege to pastor and serve alongside so many who continue in the proud footsteps of those who have gone before them. So, all right, yeah, amen, and welcome once more. Uh, I'm excited today to start this brand new series with you, and the reason I'm so excited to start this is because many of you may know some Bible stories, you may have heard them or growing up you heard them, but you may not know the story of the Bible, the story of how it came to be and what the big picture is. So, for the next few weeks leading up to Easter, aside from a detour here or there, we are going to be taking a look at the big picture. And every week we'll be looking at a plot point from the Bible that all begin with a C word. And you can take a look at them here. I'll show it to you once. You're not going to see this again. Uh, this week is creation. Next week, catastrophe. Uh, calling, community, crown, corruption. That sounds interesting, doesn't it? Captivity, Christ, cross, church, and consummation. So there you go, and uh, I hope you're excited about that. And I believe if, you, if you'll stick with this, you'll give me a chance. Not only will you learn a ton over the next few weeks, but you'll also uh, be better, not because your circumstances will get better, no guarantee there, but because you'll be better because we just believe that following Jesus makes you better. So, that's what you got to look forward to, and here we go, the story of the Bible, part one. All right, uh, you know, uh, what you see here in my hand before you today is not the Dead Sea Scrolls, although for some of you who get that joke, both of you in the room who get that, even though it's, that's there, you know. Uh, no, this is actually my first Bible, Morgan's first Bible, and I got it when I was a kid, and, and maybe like many of you, when, when you got this, or when I got this, there were a couple of problems that I had with it, and maybe they were the same couple of problems that you had. Uh, first of all, when someone handed me this, maybe like when you got yours, if you got one, uh, someone handed this to me and just said, hey, believe it, because it's God's word. Why do they tell me that? Well, because they were told that. 
And someone before them told them to believe that, and so they believed it, and I believed it because, you know, a kid will believe just about anything that a trusted person in their life tells them. Uh, and so I know this is true because in my own life, I, I'm a parent, I've got four kids, and, you know, our kids will come home from school all the time. And they'll tell us things that we know are like they border on the ridiculous. They are like patently false. They cannot possibly be true. And we'll, we'll say, that is, not, that is not true. And we'll, we'll ask them, you know, like every good parent does, well, well, who told you that? And they'll look at us and say, Danny in third period. You know, Alicia in PE will be like, oh, Danny, Alicia. The experts, you know. Uh, and so, you know, you, you, you may have believed this because someone entrusted in your life told you that. Uh, but then maybe you got a little bit older uh, and you began to, to ask some questions yourself. Or you, you, maybe you, uh, you know, like a professor began to ask you some questions that you couldn't answer. Or you saw something online and, you know, somebody asked you, well, who told you that? And because of that, you know, now you can't or won't believe or trust the Bible anymore. And that's the first problem somebody, some of us may have had. But the second problem some of us may have had that I had was that when you got your first Bible, when I got my first Bible, you know, it looked actually like this. It came all chaptered and versed and mapped. You know, there's like maps in there and, and, and wrapped. It came mapped and wrapped. And for some of us, you know, it came bound in genuine fake leather. <laughs> and some of us even had, or we put on there like our names in gold <laughs> on the genuine fake leather why christians do this i don't know we put our names in, in gold fake gold on fake leather on the top of these books but we do it anyway anyway so that was the that's the second problem but the the reality is the problem is that the bible did not actually come like this the story of the bible of how the bible came to be is nothing like that at all as a matter of fact the story of the bible might not actually begin where you think because the bible the story of the bible doesn't actually begin despite what our scripture reading was with genesis although we'll get back to that the story of how the bible came to be actually begins guess what with Jesus, yeah. And not just with Jesus, but with something specific that happened to Jesus. Not with something he said or that he wrote, because as far as we know, Jesus never actually wrote anything except for something in the dust with his finger one time. But what we call the Bible actually begins with an extraordinary event that happened one morning in the first century A.D. And it was so extraordinary that multiple people set out to write about it. The events of it, we call them now the Gospels, but let's not call them that now because they weren't called that then. It wouldn't be called that until much later. But these documents, and we've got four of them uh, because there were, there were people who there that said, yes, these four of them, uh, they got it right. They got the events and the details right. These four documents are extraordinary actually in antiquity because think about it, whoever has more than one person write about their life from antiquity. And if you did have your life written about, it was only because you were like a king or a queen or an emperor or a military leader and you conquered or, or you killed or you ruled or you founded something. And the person who wrote about your life was probably paid by you to write about your life. So who had four different people from all kind of walks of life write about you? Well, Jesus did. 
But not because he taught well, but he did. Not because he did miracles, which he did. And Jesus did not because he was so compassionate, though he was. The only reason that a whole bunch of people set out to write about Jesus is because of something they saw. They saw him die, and they saw him rise again. They were eyewitnesses of his death and eyewitnesses of his resurrection. This is the only reason anybody ever picked up and put pen to paper to write anything about Jesus. Because if he had not risen, he would have been just another failed wannabe Jewish rabbi messiah person. And in that moment then, when Jesus of Nazareth died, there was no the Bible. There was no church, there was no Christianity, and no way forward for anyone who was trying to follow him. It looked like, for all purposes, that Jesus had lost and Rome had won. It looked like Jesus had lost and the temple had won and the people following Jesus had lost. There were no gospels, there were no letters, there were no epistles, there were no writings, and once more, no, the Bible. All they had, all these first Christians had, was a body some fading memories, and a bunch of broken hearts. But then something extraordinary happened. They saw Jesus alive again, uh, repeatedly. And then hundreds and hundreds and hundreds more people saw him alive repeatedly. Did I say repeatedly? Yes, I did. And then Jesus told them to go out and do something incredible. He said for them to go out into all the world and tell the whole world what they had seen and what they had heard. And so these first Christians began to do just that. They began to go around and share with everyone, with Romans, with Greeks, and Jews, that Jesus of Nazareth had died and that Jesus was resurrected alive again. And especially, especially as they shared this good news with Gentiles and with Romans, that's the message they preached over and over again. They preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And therefore, that was proof that Jesus was God, that God was real, God was love, and God was more powerful than any other God or idol in the world. And then something else amazing happened. Romans, Gentiles, by the thousands, began to turn away from their old gods, their old lives. They began to embrace the message of Jesus. And as they did, the earliest communities of Jesus' followers turned to those first eyewitnesses and asked for records of his life. And so people, people like this Greek doctor, his name is Luke, you may have heard of him. He's got a book named after him. Wouldn't be called that for a long time. Who would become one of the first followers of Jesus, this Greek doctor, like Luke, he sets out, he tells you to get it all down and to get it right. And here's how Luke's message begins. His document, his book begins. He writes this, inasmuch as, what's that word? Many. Thank you. Yes, we're all, we're, we have many. That's the word. Many. <laughs> many have undertaken. Lots of people are trying to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were, what's the word? Come on. Eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Luke saying, I've interviewed the sources. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. So people like Luke did things like this. He, he, Luke wasn't writing the Bible. 
He wasn't setting out to write an epic, you know, bestseller. He wasn't setting out to write, uh, create a new religion. He was out to get down on paper something that the eyewitnesses had seen Jesus live, die, come back to life. And as that message was preached over time, as the Gentiles and the Romans, as they converted away en masse from their gods, they realized, they looked up and they realized that somehow this new God they worshiped who changed their lives was actually from Israel, that Jesus had been Jewish. And so they began to ask, well, what did the Jews believe? Was there anything in the Jewish faith or Jewish culture that could help us understand Jesus more. And what was fascinating, fascinating about these first few centuries after the resurrection of Jesus, and this is something you should ask yourself if you've never asked before, it's this. Even though Christians were mercilessly persecuted, tortured, condemned by the Roman Empire, Jews rarely, if ever, were treated like that by the Roman Empire. Well, why was that? Jews claimed there was only one true God. Christians claimed there was only one true God. Why were the Christians killed, but the Jews spared? Because of this. Romans valued old things. Romans valued ancient things. Romans respected old cultures to a point. And so with the Jewish people, they saw a religion, they saw a faith, they saw a culture that was far, far older even than their own. And so while, yes, they hated the Jews, they respected the oldness, the ancientness of their faith. And so the Jewish scrolls and writings survived. And so now these these Roman Gentile Christians begin to look at the Hebrew scriptures, all the writings of the people uh, of Jesus that we, what we would call the Old Testament. But that didn't come to be called that until much later. Then they were just called the law and the prophets. And they took the law and they took the prophets, the law and the prophets. And do you know what these first Christians did? They went looking for Jesus in there. They went Jesus hunting. They sort of squinted at the Jews and said, how did you all miss your Messiah? But whatever, we're going to go look for Jesus in there. And guess what? They found him everywhere. Because he was everywhere. Because Jesus said you would find him everywhere. He said all the law and the prophets are about me. And so they found him everywhere, even in ways that drove the Jewish leaders crazy. But these Roman Christians, they went to the Jewish people. They picked up their scrolls. Didn't come mapped and wrapped, bound in genuine fake leather. Nope, it was on a scroll. And they unwound these ancient precious documents. They picked up one scroll we now call Genesis. Wasn't called that then. And they, now, the former pagan, the former idol-worshiping, the former polytheistic, the former Zeus and Hermes, Diana Temple-going people, they picked up unwound This scroll we call now Genesis. And do you know what they saw? Do you know what they read? Do you know what they discovered? Oh, they discovered what the Jews had known and read and taught all along. What we now call Genesis 1.1, which reads this. In the beginning, here it comes, God created the heavens and the earth. What's that? God created, not, not God's created 
Not Zeus, not Amon Re, you know, that's right. Yeah, God created. And here's what they discovered, and this is why this is so important. They discovered in Genesis a story that stood in utter and stark and complete contrast to every other story that had ever been written up to the time of the Romans. And utterly different than any other story about the origin of humanity that's been told or written ever since. Because you should know this, for a long time, in the 18th and 19th centuries, historians, researchers, archaeologists, you probably read them or you were taught them, they looked at the stories in Genesis 1 and 2. And they saw, and you were probably taught this, the similarities between Genesis and the other creation accounts or myths. And they just assumed, because they came in with a bias and an intent to discredit Genesis, they just assumed that Genesis, you know, just borrowed. They were like picking and choosing from other stories, putting them in a blender and spitting it out. And so they said, why believe it? Why take it seriously? It wasn't unique. Oh, but I want you to know, thankfully, that view has been largely abandoned today. And it has been abandoned increasingly over the 20th century up to today because people are rereading these stories with fresh eyes. And what stands out today is what stood out long ago. What these first Christians, they already knew then what we're just discovering now. What captivated them now, them then, us now, is not the similarities, hear me, but it's the stark, utter, permanent differences. In other words, what we see now is what they saw then. Let me give you one example. Uh, The Babylonians. In their creation accounts, called the Enuma Elish, it means went on high. There's a version of it. They talk about how the world was made. Here's their myth. There were these great sea monsters. It's already getting good, right? Apsu, Tiamat, male and female, they were the waters of chaos. And their children, their offspring were the gods, one of whom was called Marduk, and he was the greatest. And here's how the world came to be in their version. Marduk came into battle one day, and he created the world when he rode into battle on his two steeds. Here's an artist's version of it. You know, his two steeds were named Slaughterer and Merciless just in case you missed the first name, right? And after defeating Tiamat, when he shoots an arrow into her mouth, here's an early inscription of it. Here's a more recent artist's version of it. Yeah, shoots an arrow into Tiamat's mouth. He splits her body in two. And then with two dripping, bloody halves of her dead carcass, he creates the heavens with the upper half and the earth with the lower half. Now, let's pause. Can you imagine Babylonian Sunday school, right? This is amazing. Don't miss it, kids. Marduk kills his mom, rips her in half, and then makes you, you know. Come back next week. We're going to talk about how to resolve family issues, you know. like Oh, God. But Genesis is nothing like this. It's nothing like Marduk, Amun-Re, the Egypt God. And so thankfully, what scholars have done now is to take a look at those texts and see them through the eyes of these first Christians. And in doing so, they have discovered what the Jews and Christians knew from the beginning. They discovered why Moses wrote Genesis. Not to tell you how as much, in principle, God created the heavens and the earth, but to tell you why the God of Jesus of Nazareth, the one who came back from the dead, why the God of Jesus and the Jews created the heavens and the earth. See, we look at it in our cultural moment and we demand from it answers. It never intended to give. We look at it through the lens now of the new atheist, Dawkins, Hitchens, Gould, Stephen Hawking, name drop them. Yeah, there you go for you. 
we all demand from an answer is that Moses never set out to give us, and so we largely miss the principal points. See, from the beginning, the first Christians across the Roman Empire, when they took up what we call Genesis, they knew exactly what was being told them about creation, about why we are here, about what our story is from the beginning. See, let's recap. It was the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that created the first followers of Jesus who took up these sacred scrolls of Judaism, read in them what they found, and saw in that story who they were, why they were made, and Genesis filled in the blanks for them what they had never been taught, what they had never known. See, they knew they had been remade by Jesus Christ, but why were they made in the first place? That's what they found here. And it not only changed their lives, it changed the world because what was in Genesis, because Rome was everywhere, what was in Genesis, because Christians began to spread everywhere, what was in Genesis began to go everywhere and eventually changed the world. And the world began to see and to read the story of the Bible and the story in the Bible. So let's ask now, with all this backstory, all this context, let's ask, because they did, what was in the beginning? that was so compelling that would cause former Egyptian idol worshipers, Roman idol worshipers, Babylonian idol worshipers to turn away from their faith. What was so different about this story telling them about why God made the world? What things in the story are different. So let me show you now. Now, five things that were in the beginning, so to speak. I want to show you quickly five W's, five distinctives in terms of the story of creation, in terms of what they meant for them then, and how you can apply them to your life today. I think it's going to be super practical. You guys ready? The answer is yes. Here we go. We're going to show you five W's, five distinctives. The first W, I'll put it like this. We're going to call it wellness or wholeness, goodness. Verse 31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, not the gods, not in a cosmic battle, not dripping bloody dead carcasses, God made. And behold, it was very good. See, this shows us there's a wellness, a wholeness, a goodness, because unlike everything else, the myths and accounts of other stories, not only is this telling you that God made this on purpose, it tells you that you, unlike Darwinian evolutionary theory says, you were made on purpose. You're not an accident. It means you're made on purpose and with a purpose. Because not only is this telling us that God caused the universe to come into being by his own choice. Scientists now call this the Big Bang. We're in one trillionth of a trillionth of a second. The universe exploded from a pin dot. And here's what that first Big Bang uh, looked like. It looked like this, I'm pretty sure. It looked like that. <laughs> Sorry, I just... I've never actually seen a single episode of that show. Um, Full disclosure, just thought a cultural reference would get you back. All right. (laughs) Probably looked something more like this. We don't know, or maybe this. All we know, Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And as it exploded, hear me, that explosion did not go across space and time. It actually created space and time. Because before there was anything, there was nothing No space, no matter, no time. In a trillionth of a second, all three came into being simultaneously on purpose. And God looked at all of it said it was very good. It's good. Very good. Because of this, let me apply this. Hear me. Christians ought to be 
the most, here's your phrase, body positive people. Body positive people. Because we don't say the body's evil, like some faiths do, or the goal of our faith is to escape the body, some faiths do. Because one day, we're not going to get back like just a spirit container or a lantern like we're a genie. One day in the Bible story, we actually get a new body. We get a new body. So here's what we don't do because our bodies are very good. We don't cut ourselves. Some of your statistics are true. You're cutting yourself. Don't do that. Stop it. Your body is very good. Some of you are starving yourself. Unhealthy ways. Stop it. Don't do that. Your body is very good. Even your, the bodies of your enemies are very good. They have dignity. See, your shape is very good. Your size is very good. And all of us, you know, just above average males just said, yes, that is true. Your color is very good. It's very good. See, there's a dignity that the creation, especially humans, have. Have you ever given thanks for your body? You don't write like celebrities do, a love letter to worship it, no. We say, God, thank you. It's very good. That's the first W. There's a wellness. Second W that would have stood out to them is work. When these first Christians picked up this account, they saw in Genesis not only a God who works, but a God with his hands in the dirt, like touching stuff and people. They would have been blown away. And the Enuma Elish, people don't come into like the fifth book of it. And then even then, they were made to be slaves, for the gods to do the work the gods didn't want to do. Greek and Roman mythology, work was avoided at all costs. The whole point of life was not to work. Can you see the difference? Here, God works. People work. Work is dignified, which means this. Whatever your job is today, wherever you're working, taco stand, fast food, clergy, law, professor, and, you know, in the home, whatever you're doing, unless it's murder for hire, Drug dealing or telemarketing. <laughs> you know who you are? You're trying to fool me by putting the first three numbers of my cell phone in that fake call you give me anyway. All right. I feel better now. Your work is dignified, and when it's done rightly, it is good. Third W is our will. So wellness, work, our will. Genesis 2, God says to the first man, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. I mean, look at this freedom. This means that humans aren't slaves, and they were never meant to be slaves. Why? Because God honors the choices of every human being. You and I were given a will, and in the beginning, that will was perfect. Perfect. Not now, but it was then. It could choose whatever it wanted, and hear me, only if there's the possibility of a bad choice or a wrong choice is a choice even a choice. God, in the beginning, honors the human will and respects our choices, which is why, hang with me for a minute, why when our nation was founded, the writers of the Constitution, though in unbelievable and tragic irony, they were blind to the ways in which they denied the free will of African slaves, of women, of first peoples. we got a list going. At least they rightfully looked at monarchies, at least, at least, at least, and despotic rulers and autocrats and said they can't be right. People were made to live as if their wills and choices matter. Now to quote the philosopher Bono from YouTube, they denied for others what they demanded for themselves. Why that is, we'll take, may take a look at next week. 
But in the, don't you like that? In free will, woohoo! In a culture like ours, we love that bit. God made us free. Expressive individualism, we love it. Sounds so good, but in the words of 80s infomercials, but wait, there's more. Because alongside the will, there's also this fourth W, a warning. You may, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. In other words, God's saying there's a limit to the places your will is allowed to go. Therefore, this is showing you they saw this three things back to back to back about the human condition and about your will. Number one, they saw this, that you may have freedom of choice, but you don't have freedom from consequences. And every parent has said amen to that. Second, we learn not all choices are good choices. You can choose what you want, but it might not be good. And number three, only God has the right to define good and bad choices. I should add number four in here, and God will judge every single choice. The story in which we find ourselves is this, like this first people, these first people, we ignore the warning at our own peril. Our wills, our choices have limits that we must not violate. I mean, think about it. What was the serpent's message? Come on. Did God really say? What's he doing? Questioning God as the author of your limit. Author of your limits. Adam and Eve ignored the warning to their own loss. So do we. So in our story, we find a wellness, we find work, a will made to be free, and a warning along the will. But, but, but there's one more final W. I'm going to focus on it that these early Christians saw that you should see that not only shows us the story of the Bible, but it shows us the story of us. Us. It's the word, word. It's the word, word. Fifth W, the word, word. And through this, we see something amazing. That God not only creates with his word, but here it is, he blesses with his word. He blesses with his word. He blesses, he gives a benediction, a good word, a, a blessing over all that he, not the gods, but that he as creator makes. And behold, he said, it was very good. I want you today to realize something. It was into this that we were made. People were brought. People were created. We were brought into a blessed world, into a blessed earth, into blessed bodies, and a blessed relationship with God. That's our story. That is what's most true about us. And yet, as we'll see in our next episode, tune in next time, as we go from creation to catastrophe, that the blessing we'll see was lost. The benediction was lost because we ignored the warning about our wills. And what's perhaps the most fascinating thing, if you read Genesis, if you go back and you read it, all the stories from here on out, immediately Cain, Abel, Abraham, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau, all of them. Now, they're all about getting it back. They're all about the blessing. From here on out, the rest of the book, all the characters, they fight over the blessing. They lie about the blessing. They connive to get the blessing. They have the blessing. They lose the blessing. Immediately, they go about setting their lives on a course to get the blessing back. And let me tell you, what Genesis is showing us about humanity then is still true now. The whole world, all our lives, man, all that political power is, all that sports for the most part is, sex is, our careers is, is simply this. People 
trying to get the blessing back, trying to get the good word. In our marriages, we want the good word. With our leaders, our friends, we want to get the blessing, the word that says you are good, you are lovely, you are wanted, you are known, you are smart, you are good, you are talented. We want the blessing. They were all after it then, we're all after it now. That's our story. And here's where we find ourselves today. We are seeking the right thing, the blessing, but in the wrong way, to our own hurt and destruction. So how do we get it? How did we get the blessing of creation back? I was reading this fascinating book this week on Christian leadership called A Work of Heart by a guy named Reggie McNeil. And he writes in the book about the blessing. He writes this. He says, quote, children receive the blessing through a sense of close relationship and the understanding of the parent for the child. Here it is. The parent must enter the child's world in order to have the power to bless. This is what Carrie and I have tried to do for years with our kids. It's been like our secret sauce in parenting. We ask our children, usually at night, I'll go to them and I'll say, why does daddy love you? They'll say, because I'm your child. Did you choose to be my child? No, daddy. Then who made you my child? You did. So is there anything you did to make me love you? No, daddy. So is there anything you can do to make me stop loving you? No, daddy. I'll say that's right. And you are, here's the word, a blessing to our lives and our family. And right there, you can see the child's disposition change. Even a teenager might crack if you give that to them. And if this is true of us, what about us as children of God, as those made in his image? How might he get inside our lives to give us not just a blessing, but the blessing? Oh, one of the writers, one of the earliest writers of the Christian faith, uh, as a man named John, he wrote about Jesus. He took a look at Genesis, and he took a look at Jesus. And he took a look at Genesis, and he took a look at Jesus, and he looked at Genesis and Jesus, and he put two and two together. He put Jesus and Genesis together, and here is what he wrote. Here's how his letter starts. He says, in the beginning, uh uh-oh, Genesis again was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and he says, in the Word, look at this, became flesh and dwelt among us. He got inside our lives. He's saying, through Jesus, God is getting back inside our lives, back inside creation, back inside the story, getting inside our state of being. He's becoming like us. Do you know? And then the baptism of Jesus Christ, before he'd ever done a single thing, a single miracle, raised anyone from the dead, gone to the cross, a voice was heard from heaven. Never heard before, never heard since. The people who were there heard it. They swore by it, and they said they heard God speaking from heaven about Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What's God doing? He's giving the blessing. Giving the blessing. Jesus was getting the blessing so he could give it to us. And the whole irony, the whole great reversal of the cross of Jesus of the empty tomb of the resurrection is this. Jesus took all the curse so that we could get all the blessing. Let me summarize. From the beginning, when they read in the beginning, Christians saw that through Jesus, God was giving us a new beginning. 
Saying again, from the beginning, Christians, when they read in the beginning, saw that through Jesus, God was giving us a new beginning. There was creation, they saw. Now, recreation, how? Both times it was the same. It was through the blessed word of God, Jesus of Nazareth. What have we learned today, class? About the story of the Bible. Here we go. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have the Bible. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have what we call Christianity. And most important, because of the resurrection, what was lost from creation can be regained through becoming a new creation. You can get the blessing back.